Good morning. Why don't you open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. We are studying through the book of Joshua. We find ourselves in chapter 10. Our text this morning is verses 1 through 14. The topic, Joshua asked God to prevent the sun from going down until Israel can rout her enemies. The title of our message, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Now it came to pass when Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lashish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makedah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them, As far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven. And did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Let's pray together. Father, we totally enjoy these remarkable, dramatic stories of battles and uh, engaging the enemy. We want, though, to be able to put ourselves in this story in the sense that uh, we understand what it represents to us as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. We understand that Joshua can be a type of Jesus Christ for us and the children of Israel going into the land, a type of our conquest of the Christian life, as it were. And so help us, Lord, to see ourselves in this story spiritually that we might walk in the victory that you won for us on the cross when you died for the sins of the world, when you rose from the dead, and when you ascended into heaven. That as we wait for you to return, to take us home to be with you, 
we would walk in a manner that is pleasing to you and worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, Amen. If a person doesn't believe God can do miracles, there is nothing you can do to convince them that the sun stood still. You certainly don't want to tell anyone that the scientists at NASA have used their computers to prove there is actually a missing day. There might be a missing day somewhere in someone's calculations, but that is not true. That is an old urban legend. Uh, and it's now that you have the Internet, it's easy to get on there and find out that these are old urban legends. And so whatever you tell people about the Bible, Bible prophecy, these kinds of things, just verify it. Make sure that it's legitimate. Uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, it's interesting having the Internet because now you can see that everybody just references everybody else. And there's no original source material for some of this. And a lot of stuff, just quite honestly, gets made up. Uh, we don't have to defend God's miracles. C.S. Lewis wrote, The mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in the process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. Uh, that's Lewis's way of saying that if there's a God, of course he does miracles. Warren Wiersbe says, either we believe in a God who can do anything or we must accept a Christian faith that's non-miraculous and that does away with the inspiration of the Bible. And beloved, if you do away with the inspiration of the Bible, you have nothing. We love and serve the God of the Bible who performs miracles when it brings glory to himself and good to his people. When Joshua called upon him to extend their day of conquest, God responded. The sun stood still, the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. No use asking God to do it again. It says here, there has been no day like that before it or after it. Not literally, at least. I would submit to you, however, it still happens spiritually. It happens, or we should believe it can happen every day in our walk with the Lord. Here's what I mean. We've seen in this book that Joshua and the Israelites are a type of our own conquest in the Christian life. Just like the Israelites in Canaan, we are to walk by faith and thereby claim our inheritance as believers. Joshua did not want the sun to go down on their conquest. We should proceed in our walk in our work for the Lord and in our warfare as if there was an urgency to complete it before nightfall. Jesus had just this attitude during the three and a half years of his earthly ministry. In John chapter 9, he exhorted his disciples, including us, by saying, work while it is day. A little later in John eleven nine, he said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Jesus compels us to think about our Christian life as if it is one long day in which we want to finish our work before nightfall. When you think you've only got one day, it changes your sense of urgency to walk and to work and to war for the Lord. Urgency to walk in the light is one of the lessons that is taught by the miracle of the sun standing still. And in a way, it's more profound than the Lord actually stopping the sun anymore. Could he do that? Sure. Does God still do miracles? Absolutely. But rather than ask the Lord, you know, to halt the sun in its tracks for one day, the application to us is to understand that the Lord wants us to approach the Christian life as if he is giving us sufficient light 
to conquer our enemies day by day. I'll organize my thoughts about our urgency around two points. Number one, don't let the sun go down on your confidence. And number two, don't let the sun go down on your conquest. First of all, in verses one through nine, don't let the sun go down on your confidence. I want to look at this first from the point of view of the Gibeonites. They had tricked the Israelites into making peace with them. It had saved them from being defeated and destroyed by Joshua. Now that treaty would save them from their former allies who were coming against them. The Gibeonites had been part of a vast kingdom, but had aligned themselves with the kingdom that God was establishing. Because they were now at peace with God, they found themselves at war with their former allies. If you are at peace with God, you're a Christian, you've been born again, you are aligned with the kingdom that he is coming to establish on the earth. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 puts it like this. It says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And so you've been transferred from the authority of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. But the power of darkness, they don't take too easily to your being saved and safe. And so now, like the Gibeonites, you become their enemies and their special targets. You see how this is represented to us in the opening verses. In verses 1 through 5, the former allies of Gibeon target her because of her new alliance with the children of God. It is inevitable that your former alliances will be stressed over your new allegiance to Jesus Christ. Whether it is family or friends or fellow workers or even strangers you encounter from time to time, you become a target for scoffing or ridicule or many times something much worse, especially depending on where you live uh, in the world today. You become a target of real, sincere, bodily persecution and harm. Especially if you were saved later in life. Some of you have been saved your whole life. You had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. And as far back as you can remember, you knew the Lord. Uh, you, you, you have some of this going on because we all do. But some of you can remember, you know, coming to Jesus Christ as an adult. And then that desire welling up in you to tell everybody what had just happened, you've been forgiven your sins and now you were headed for eternity and, and you knew Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You couldn't wait to tell your family and friends and fellow workers and everyone. And I would say probably most of you have a, a story or two to tell that it didn't always go as smoothly as you thought it would. There weren't always a line of people wanting to sign on and say, what must I do to be saved? I remember when I first went and told my uh, family uh, all my brothers and my dad all worked together at the time at uh, an auto shop. It was our family business. And uh, so I went in during lunchtime because I knew their habits and that they'd all be up front at the counter eating lunch together. And I went in and I, you know, in, in my greatest joy and rejoicing, announced to them that I had given my life to Jesus Christ and that I was a Christian. And, and uh, it, it didn't go too well. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's just, and it hasn't gone well ever since, but, uh, you know, and so a lot of you have those kinds of experiences. I remember, uh, we have some, we had some dear friends at the time 
And, uh, you know, it was right after Pam and I had really gotten saved and the telephone rang. And all of a sudden we knew, oh, it's going to be them because we had a trip planned to Ensenada. Uh, we were going to go down to Husong's Cantina and just get blitzed down there like we did from time to time. And so the phone rang, and as it's ringing, we knew that we, you know, had this trip planned, and they were calling to finalize the trip, and, and what are we going to do? Who's going to answer the phone? And I can't remember who answered the phone. One of us was more chicken than the other. It was probably me that was more chicken. But anyway, we answered the phone. I probably made Pam answer the phone. And uh, we said, well, wait a minute. Before we talk about anything else, we have to tell you that we're Christians. And, oh, they were excited for us, but the trip never happened. Uh, obviously, I think they took it with someone else uh, because they just weren't up to, you know, Jesus freak itis at the time and stuff. And so, you know, you lose your friends many times. And, and, and it, sometimes you actually, in a sense, lose your family because they disown you. Uh, there's a big tension in this area. Uh, more so than in some uh, between those of you who have a Roman Catholic tradition uh, when you become a Christian, it's like your, your family, which is so deeply culturally Roman Catholic, they, they almost disown you or they do disown you. Uh, and so it's tough when you are changing allegiance from one kingdom to another kingdom. You are going from a kingdom of darkness where people are unsaved and trusting in religion or nothing into the kingdom of God. Uh, and it's a, it's a battle. And, and there are forces of darkness that... Uh, engage you and camp around your life and seek to destroy you. And so how should you respond? Well, you should respond the same way the Gibeonites responded. They called upon Joshua. You should call upon the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Their circumstances were beyond bleak. Without Joshua's help, they would be utterly defeated and destroyed. All of their confidence was in Joshua. We don't read about anything that they did to engage the enemy. Uh, we're told that they were a mighty power and that he had men of valor. But all they do is call upon Joshua and wait for him to come. Calling upon the Lord is not usually our problem. We do it all the time. Our confidence in his answers is usually the problem because he seems to wait. He seems delayed. Things seem as though they are getting out of hand. There's no shame admitting it. The psalmists admit it all the time, but they also conclude that God is never late and that things are always well in his hands. We need confidence to wait upon the Lord. The Gibeonites give us a good example of confidence. All they could do and all they did do was wait. And so God delivered them right on time, right on schedule. Verse 7, so Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid of them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Joshua came through for them. He marshaled every resource in his arsenal to help them. Victory was assured him. He refused to rest or sleep, marching all night to arrive at Gibeon. Our Lord Jesus Christ is very much like that, only to a much greater degree. 
Our Father in heaven has assured him victory. Because the Lord went to the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and all principalities and powers are subject to him. He is soon coming to establish his kingdom on the earth. There is no uh, request that he would make that his Father will not answer. Second, every resource of heaven is at his disposal. Jesus once, uh, when he was on the earth even, said, Hey, if I needed a legion of angels or 12 legions of angels to help me, I could call upon them and they would present themselves. Angels are powerful. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrians overnight while they slept. A legion of angels would be devastating. Uh, the Bible says that angels are God's ministering spirits. There is some credibility in the Bible for the idea that we have guardian angels. And so if God wants to help me in a supernatural way, he has the resource to do it. And when it comes to his oversight of your life, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is always constantly looking upon me for my good and for his glory. Now, it may seem we must endure a long night of waiting, like the Gibeonites surrounded by the enemy, the enemy beginning to engage them and, and them waiting through that night. But though there's a waiting, it need not be one of wondering or worrying. The Bible encourages us to not let the sun go down on our confidence in the Lord, not just in story after story in the Old Testament, but in many New Testament promises. For example, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And so the scripture is telling us that we can be confident that God, who has begun a good work in us, will perform it until the return of Jesus Christ. He will complete it and perfect us. And we should keep confidence in that and be steadfast in it to the end, despite our circumstances. Now, here's the problem with projects. When we talk about God working on us as a project, we have a tendency to think of it like some of the projects we have worked on in our lives. Some of you guys, especially, you've got projects that you've been working on. Uh, I drive by your you know, houses and people pop up their garage and under that tarp is a classic car in the making. Uh, it's been in the making for 25 years uh, and every six months, Somebody goes out there and tightens a lug nut or, you know, gets on the Internet to look for a carburetor or something like that. But over time, you know, what started as, you know, you drove to the middle of nowhere and spent more money than you should have to trailer some hunk of junk into your garage, thinking it's going to be that 64 Malibu that you remember from high school with that 327. And anyway, and, 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 and then you get it in your garage and you've cleared out your garage, you painted your garage, you put that rubber flooring in your garage and your garage is totally dedicated to that Malibu project. And that was six years ago. And now there's a tarp on it and turpentine cans and weed eaters and whatever else you need to store on top of that car because you don't have enough room. And then your wife wondering, what's all that about? When are you going to fix that car? 
And we have a tendency to think, well, that's what God's doing in my life. I got saved and he got started and man, things were great. And now I'm just, I'm tarped. God's tarped me and and there's a bunch of stuff stored on top of me. And Lord, when are you going to get about this project again? And that's not the Lord. When we wait on the Lord, when there is a seeming delay, God is working in and through that. The project of the human heart is something very different than those kinds of projects. He is always at work in you, seeking to complete you. It is a work he has promised to complete. And so you might as well remain confident. So why the waiting? Why the delays? Why the sufferings? Well, for one thing, God's kingdom is already present, but it is not yet established on the earth in its literal form. While we await the return of Jesus, we are in conflict with the principalities and powers of this world, which aren't going to give up so easily. God uses the conflict to mold and shape us. It's a big part of how he works to complete us. Like the children of Israel in the promised land, hey, this is your land. All you have to do is set foot in it, foot after foot after foot, and it is yours. But you've got to put one foot in front of the other, engage the enemy so that I can show you my goodness, my grace, and my power. If you refuse to engage the enemy, then you are not going to experience the victory that I've given you. And so we are to wait, but not wonder or worry. We are to not let the sun go down on our confidence. And then secondly, in verses 10 through 14, don't let the sun go down on your conquest. The Israelites were not just an army. They were husbands and fathers and farmers and craftsmen. But they were always ready at a moment's notice to go to war. I frequently mention that you are to consider yourself on call for the Lord. Be ready to serve at a moment's notice. Better yet, don't wait for notice. Notice things yourself and serve more than ready, though. The Israelites were relentless in their conquest. And that is the thing that is brought out in this passage. Think this through with me for a moment from what we know already from the first few verses. First of all, they marched all night. It was about 25 miles. It was in the dark over uneven terrain And they probably needed to remain as quiet and stealthy as possible, carrying whatever equipment that they needed, including their armaments, so that they could engage the enemy in battle. I don't think I could walk 25 miles, and I am a fine specimen of a human being. (laughs) That's a long ways to just walk at night with no or very little light towards the end so that you can be stealthy over uneven uh, desert terrain. Second, we're told they had to ascend to Gibeon. It was at a height of 4,000 feet. And so it was 25 miles going up from wherever they were to an elevation of 4,000 feet. So it was a climb on top of a walk. And then they immediately engaged the enemy in close quarter, hand-to-hand combat. They did it not just all day, but all through an extended day as the Lord caused the sun to stand still. Think about being in that army. You're just minding your own business at Gilgal. All of a sudden, these crazy Gibeonites come over who Joshua was tricked into a treaty with. And they say, hey, we need your help. You promised to help us. Now's the time. Joshua 
let's go, everybody on board, you grab your gear, you're out the door, you're walking 25 miles, it's dark, uh, you're going uphill, you finally get there, now you're fighting and exerting all that energy, God's given you the victory, and then all of a sudden you, you see Joshua on a high point, and you hear him say, Lord, make the sun stand still, extend this day so we can go on fighting the enemy, what am I going to, I'm thinking, no, stop that. Let's just end this thing. Just don't ask for the day to be extended. Ask for them all to die. If you're going to ask for something, I mean, come on, you know, if it's one of these ask me moments, you know, if the Lord has said, ask me whatever you want, but no, Joshua says, just extend our day. We want to just be spent conquering. We want to be a part of this conquest. Lord, you could have dispatched one angel. I mean, Joshua from Gilgal could have said, you know, Lord, we're tired. We entered into this crazy agreement with the Gibeonites. Why don't you send one angel over there and just wipe out the entire five armies? Would you do that for us, please? But no, Joshua's into this thing. He sees, he says, man, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I want the day to be longer and longer and longer because we're winning this thing. We're killing these people. We're, we're conquering five armies at a time here. Let's get this thing done. And that's the attitude. It's a great example to us about the urgency of conquest in our own spiritual lives. We are husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, but we must be ready at a moment's notice to engage fierce spiritual enemies. And we must fight on day after day as if there were no nightfall until we are called home to be with the Lord. It's as if we would be like Joshua and say, Joshua or Jesus, extend this time of fighting against this enemy. Not so much to give me relief, but let me just pound this enemy into the ground. This, this habit that I've struggled with, this obstacle that I'm trying to overcome. Let me just get a handle on this. Lord, don't let me rest until I have your victory in this. Have you put something in your walk on hold, hoping to one day return to it? Today is that day. Have you given in to some enemy in the world or in your flesh? Today is the day to defeat it. Sadly, we'll see these same people a little bit later on in their conquest of the land. They lose this sense of urgency. And oftentimes when going against their enemies that God had told them to destroy, they make peace with them and they put them in bondage to them as if you can keep your enemy under control without destroying him. And by the time you get to the book of Judges, you see what a problem it creates for the children of Israel as they face defeat after defeat after defeat. As their children grow up, uh, you know, apathetic to the things of the Lord and then apostate. And so we want to take the day and defeat our enemy. And so in verse 10, the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. You'd have to say that there was a combination of personal discipline and supernatural assistance. And that's always the same with us. Though our confidence is in the Lord, we still must be people of personal spiritual discipline if we expect the Lord to rain hailstones down upon our enemies and our obstacles. 
The Apostle Paul certainly had no confidence in himself or in any of his abilities. But he always used athletic metaphors to describe his commitment to personal spiritual discipline in his walk with Jesus Christ. And he didn't see there to be a conflict between that. It wasn't a let go and let God. It was a dual track for Paul. It was like, hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm nothing without Jesus Christ. I'm a pile of garbage without Jesus Christ. My education, my oratory, there's nothing about me that I want to boast in except the cross of Jesus Christ. But in my own life, I keep myself under personal spiritual discipline. I keep my flesh under control. I read the word of God. I pray without ceasing. I speak in tongues more than all these other people. Not for my boasting or my glory, but because that's what a Christian does. That's what you do because of your love for the Lord, not because of some law or, or some greatness. And so there's no real problem between discipline and waiting upon the Lord. The Christian life is never a sloppy, spontaneous life. It is a focused, disciplined life. to rain down on our enemies. He spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. I have no desire to try and prove any miracle. If God is who he says he is, miracles are to be expected. What is this book of Jasher? Well, it is sometimes translated the book of the upright. It was a book largely composed of heroic songs. It is mentioned here and again in 2 Samuel chapter 1 when King David, uh, well, soon to be King David, laments the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that the Bible will refer to other books. It isn't an endorsement of their content. Uh, it's simply like us today quoting a certain author to put something into a context. To me, it shows that the inspired word of God was written within the cultures of the people alive at the time, but transcended time because of its inspiration. Probably if you really studied this out, you'd find out that it, it is a time stamp or a time reference. Uh, and that's always important because people are always coming along and they're saying, well, this couldn't have happened the way that the Bible says it happened uh, because there's prophecy involved and uh, therefore, you know, we know that people can't know things ahead of time, so it must have been written afterwards. And then we would say, well, isn't that the nature of prophecy that God tells you ahead of time? And they'd say, oh, yeah, but we don't believe in prophecy or miracles or anything else. Well, what do you believe in? We believe in ourselves. We read the Bible and we decide which parts of the Bible are from God. And none of the miraculous parts uh, are accepted. None of the prophetic parts. There's a couple of things in the Sermon on the Mount that uh, maybe Jesus actually said. Uh, but, I, hey, I'd even argue there. Because let's if, if you can get somebody to admit that they like the Sermon on the Mount, you've got them. Because no one can do what the Sermon on the Mount says unless they die to themselves and are born again by God the Holy Spirit. And, and so, you know, no matter how far down you reduce the Word of God, I'll take it in an argument with somebody because it is enough. 
for our purposes, we believe the whole word of God. We understand that this book of Joshua was written just as uh, it said it was by Joshua and then others after him finishing the story. And this book of Jasher is a good time stamp on it. Now, God had promised the Israelites victory before they ever entered the promised land. They would need to fight to claim it, but it was assured them. If you are saved, you're a Christian, you have been promised victory in your walk with the Lord. On the cross, we're told that Jesus defeated the devil and all principalities and powers. On the cross, we're told that your flesh, that principle within you that tends towards sin, was crucified. It's dead. You don't need to yield to it. But we still need to fight to claim our victory, even though it's assured, because like the children of Israel, we're still in the land before the kingdom has been fully established. In this episode of Gibeon, we learn how urgent and how intense that fight really is. You should walk and work and war for the Lord as if it were always daylight. As if, I know you have to go to sleep at night or in the daytime, depending on whether you're doing shift work, but your Christian walk should be one continuous day in which you are walking in the light of God's word, in the light of his countenance, in the light of his coming fighting these spiritual foes and claiming your spiritual victory. First Peter chapter two, verse nine says, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own special people that you may claim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then in Ephesians five, eight, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Jesus is your Joshua. You see him by faith asking the Father to give you sufficient light in every battle, in every circumstance, in order to be victorious. He can never tire. He can never fail. It can seem to us as though God is delaying, as though there is an unexplained waiting. But if we would step back and see what's really happening in the spiritual realm, you know that the Father has to give Jesus everything he asked for and that the Lord would only ask for that which is not just good, but the best for us, given our situation and circumstances. Just because it doesn't seem that way to us doesn't make it so. We don't live, as it were, in or under our circumstances we live above our circumstances. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. We have set our affections there. And whatever the Lord deals us on the earth, we receive from him as the best. Conquest is an interesting word. It can mean the process of conquering. That's kind of what the Christian life is. It's a process of conquering. From a position of assured victory, you can go forth every day in this process of conquering as if there was just this one day and then the Lord is coming. Don't let the sun go down on either your confidence or your conquest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. What a trip it must have been uh, to see Joshua stop the sun and the moon and to continue to, to war that day. What a mind blower for the enemies of God. What a, an encouragement for the people of God. I pray, Lord, that we would receive all of that encouragement as we would understand that in a spiritual sense, 
we walk in the light of day, that everything is light and glory and your shining brilliance to us as we continue to follow you. And that wherever we look, Lord, we can defeat an enemy. And as we step forward, you will rain hailstones down upon those uh, obstacles and enemies that come against us. Lord, I know many times it seems that we are besieged. The enemy has come against us. He's actually winning some what seem to be victories against us. We need to be a people of faith in those times. We need to see you standing before the Father, asking him for that which is best for us. And if the answer to our prayer sometimes is no, or that we must continue to suffer, we would receive it, Lord, as if we were on the potter's wheel. You are prying, applying pressure and heat, Lord, to mold and shape us into the vessels of honor that you desire us to be on earth and in heaven. Give us a more heavenly mindset, a more eternal mindset about uh, the things that we're engaged in. And may we rejoice, Lord, in you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. The guys are here to pray with you after the service. And I encourage you, if the Lord has spoken to you this morning through the worship or in the word about an issue in your life, uh, come forward and just seal it in prayer. Uh, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And uh, there are times when God wants to release his power in your life through prayer. Maybe it's something you've been praying about for years. Uh, Come and let the Lord uh, be uh, the one that releases that victory uh, in your life. Uh, stay, uh, stay around, have fun. Uh, cafe is open with all of our signature beverages. Uh, it's, it's really just to keep you here so that you'll get to meet one another and encourage one another in the Lord. Love to see you out in Lemoore tonight at 6 at King's Christian Center as we continue to establish that fellowship, uh, the Ignite Lemoore, and reach out to Lemoore. Uh, Wednesday morning, the men are together at 6.30 in the cafe. And then uh, Wednesday night, we're here at 7 p.m. for our own Ignite service over in the Fellowship Hall. If you're still thinking about signing up for family camp, do it as quickly as possible. Do it today uh, so that we can finalize the roster and get all the cabin assignments and those kinds of things. What a blessing and an encouragement to be together in the Lord. As always, find somebody that you don't know, that you've never seen before, and just introduce yourself to them. If that's as far as it goes, praise the Lord. Uh, but uh, show yourself friendly to someone. Uh, you'll be glad you did. May God bless you. Amen.